Again, everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you, worship ministry, for leading us today so well. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, we are beginning the season of Advent, and our theme is the incarnation. Why does it matter? You know that this question, why does it matter, has in uh, has captured our imaginations throughout the entire year. We've explored different facets, uh, theologically, ecclesiologically, about that question. And so for the Christmas season, we'll talk about and explore the incarnation. So today I want us to begin our conversation with insight from the Apostle Paul. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, I've entitled the message today, The Hope of Glory. And the text is found in Colossians 1. We're going to begin in verse 15. The Apostle Paul, uh, as best we know, is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. Uh, The church at Colossae is not one of his churches, if you will. It's not one of the churches that he established. Um, Epaphras, we believe, is the founding pastor of this church, and he's actually in prison with Paul in Rome when Paul writes this. So let's look at this text, verse 15 of Colossians 1, where the Bible says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, here's where I want us to start the Advent season today. How about in the beginning? And here's what Paul says. In the beginning, the Son. You know, when you look at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, many New Testament scholars look at that text and say, okay, this is, um, this is a powerful text. Was it an early hymn is the question that scholars have uh, gathered themselves around. Is that what this is? You know, the English word hymn actually is a Greek word. Humnos is the Greek word. It's just been transliterated into English. And the word humnos in Greek just means praise to God. And that word's found twice in the New Testament. In this letter, Colossians 3, verse 16, is found in Ephesians 5, verse 19. But the question is, was this a hymn? In other words, Paul's writing a letter to a church he doesn't really know And he's heard some things about the church, so does he open it by quoting something that's familiar to them? Well, the challenge with that is, we don't know fully that answer. And and so there are numerous scholars uh, who have chosen to believe that this is not really a hymn that was familiar with the congregation, because what if Paul changed some of the words? Well, that would be confusing to people, because you know how y'all are with hymns. Don't be changing the words, right? So that would have been a little disconcerting to have a hymn that maybe everybody's familiar with and Paul maybe alters it a little bit. So I land in the camp of people, scholars like C.F. Burney, who's a a scholar from the early 1900s, N.T. Wright, Dr. David Garland. I actually believe this is 
Paul's poem, if you will. And I want you to just look at it with me this morning um, as we begin our journey to Bethlehem. Because I would contend, as a number of New Testament scholars do, is this is Paul's prologue that in some ways matches John's prologue in the Gospel of John. And I would contend that this text is actually rooted in Genesis 1, verse 1, which begins this way in English, in the beginning. Berasith is the Hebrew word. Berasith is an interesting word because it's full of meaning. The little Hebrew prefix be can either mean in, by, or for. Well, I want you to notice in this text, this text talks about in Christ and through Christ or by Christ and for Christ. And so the imagery of Beirus, the, the, just the, the Hebrew prefix Bay in the beginning is connected to Jesus, the son of God. And then also the Hebrew word resith, which means beginning. It means the sum total of, it means the head, it means the first fruits of. Well, notice this text addresses all of those meanings of that word. Who is the son? He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body. He's the firstborn. In other words, if you are paying attention and you have any idea of the Hebrew understanding of the creation of the universe, Paul seems to be drawing upon that and pointing you to the son. He wants you to know that the Son of God is there at the very beginning. So the prologue here of this letter to Coloss the Colossian church is an all-encompassing theological, Christological, ecclesiological, soteriological, eschatological statement from Paul. It is just so like Paul. Here he is at, uh, uh, in some ways, the end of his ministry, if you will, and he is thinking through who Jesus really is. Well, who is the Son of God? Well, here's what Paul says in these few verses. He's sovereign over all creation. That's God's order. But he's also sovereign over the new order, the church. He's the head of the church. As a matter of fact, he has paid for the church, Paul says, with his own blood. So pay attention to this text. Look at it as Paul connecting the Son of God to the ancient story of creation, pointing toward consummation. So this is how I want us to begin the Advent season, in humility, because this is who the Son of God is. <laughs> he's not just a baby born in Bethlehem. He, he is that, but he's this. And so with that said, I'm gonna ask our deacons to come forward, our ministers to come to the table, and we're gonna prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper this morning. And here's how I want us to begin Advent. I want us to begin with an acknowledgement and a recognition of the Son of God. This baby born in Bethlehem, it turns out, is actually the image of the invisible God. He's the Lord over all creation. He is before all things. He's the embodiment of the fullness of God. He's the incarnate Word of God. He is the sacrifice for our sins. And so how can we do anything else this morning but approach this table in humility? <laughs> because we are recognizing and honoring the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the incarnate Word of God. So today, we're going to gather around this table and begin our journey together. 
And we're going to receive these elements. When the deacons pass the tray in front of you, you'll notice the cups are double stacked. Most of you are First Baptist veterans, you know that, but you might be new to us today. So you'll just take one of those stacks, if you will, and it'll have bread and juice. There are some gluten-free uh, little wafers in the middle of the tray, if that's what you need. And I'll give you instructions about how to receive those elements here in a moment. But I want us to be mindful today that when we receive these elements today, we are paying homage to the image of the invisible God, the Son of God, sovereign over all of God's creation, Lord over your life, and sovereign over the church. Hallelujah. Let's pray and ask God's blessings upon these elements. So Lord, today we begin this season by lighting a candle of hope. And we recognize that this hope is realized in your son. It is actually actualized for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And now it's symbolized for us by the bread and the fruit of the vine. It's our prayer, Lord, that as we receive these elements, that you will call us to embody that hope to our world during this Advent season. We ask your blessings upon this bread and this juice and us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul where he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, the apostle Paul, as he shares this powerful prologue, it turns out he's not done. If you still have your Bible open, look at Colossians 1 again after Paul shares this powerful message about who Jesus is, then look at verse 21 of chapter one. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, as we begin the Advent season, what an appropriate place to start with the prologue of immense theological depth and richness of who the Son of God really is and why all this actually matters. But I want you to also notice that Paul has a word about you in this text. What does he say about me and you? Here's what he says. We have been rescued, redeemed, restored, 
and reconciled. And what I need to make sure you all know this morning is that is really good news. But you know, sometimes people don't know how good the good news is because they don't know how bad the bad news is. And I want y'all to know outside of Jesus, the news is bad. Y'all know that, right? You know that without Jesus, it's bad. It's really bad. So one of the reasons that we want people in our world to know about the incarnation is because some of them don't know how bad off they are. And we have to pray that God's spirit will convict people of just how bad the bad news is. Do you want to know how bad it is? Well, look at what Paul says in this text. Go back and look at verse 21. He says, this is who you were. He says, you were enemies of God because of your sinful minds, he says. He says, you are evil because of how you act. And then he says, not only that, you are excluded from the family of God. You are alienated because of who you are as a sinner and how perfect God is. So y'all, I want y'all to know this is bad news. To be an enemy with God, how bad is that? How many of you want to get in that line? What if we ask for volunteers today? I need some folks with me right now who will line up and say, I am going to be an enemy to God. I'm going to shake my fist in his face. Do y'all want to be, honestly, do y'all want to be in that line? No. Do you want to be excluded from the family of God? Do you want to be marked by your evil behavior? You know what the Bible says? That's who we all were. But praise God for Christmas. Because God has chosen through his son to intervene and he's intervened through the incarnation and now guess what's happened? You and I have been rescued. We have been rescued from our condition, from our ultimate destination, which is eternity without God. We've been redeemed from our sinfulness. We've been restored from being alienated and we now have been reconciled to the Father and that, y'all, is good news. And my world needs it. And guess what? That's not all. That's not it. One day, you're going to be resurrected from the dead. How about that? You're going to experience the glory of eternity in ways that even those right now who've already died, who are experiencing a taste of the glory of God and an understanding of what eternity is going to be like, but even those who've already died and are in glory still don't know the fullness of it because the full resurrection of the dead hasn't happened yet. And so what has God done to show us? Well, guess what, what Paul says? Paul says that Jesus, he says, is the firstborn. Look at verse 18. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Eugene Peterson translates that. He leads the resurrection parade. He's already been resurrected from the dead. He's the only one who's been resurrected from the dead. So in other words, here's what's happened at the incarnation and the full life and witness and testimony of Christ. God has launched the age to come right here in the middle of this present age to show us what it's going to be like one day because one day not even death can win. And so 
the incarnation. Why does it matter? Well, it signals a new beginning. It's the dawning of a new day. And that's exactly what this text says. And then, believe it or not, that's not all. There's even more. And you know what else Paul says? He says, by the way, let me remind you of this truth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What has is, what is Jesus done for us? Well, Paul says in this text, and here's what he's done. He has reconciled us. He has repaired the relationship. He has restored everything that's been broken. And so all those age-old hostilities that were so prominent in Paul's day. Paul lived in a day where he was thoroughly Jewish. He grew up in a Jewish culture. He was trained as a Jewish theologian. He was given a certain view about Gentiles. He had an understanding of who Gentiles were. They were outside the family of God. They were not to be trusted. They were not to be welcomed, if you will. Well, guess what happened to Paul? Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he encounters the good news and Paul understands the news is so good, it's for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. And he will write about how in the church all those hostilities melt away so that the people of God can be one people, so they can come together as sinners in need of God's grace, no matter who they are or their station in life, their ethnicity, their background, no matter what. They come together as the people of God, male or female, Jew or Greek. That's what Paul will say. All of those distinctions are erased. All those hostilities go away because of the power of the incarnation. Now, y'all, if we ever needed to hear a word like that, we need to hear it in our day because our day is filled with hostility. Can you believe that in 2023, here we stand in this moment in time and there's still division between Jews and Gentiles? And we're watching it play out on a grand stage. Are we not? We're still watching the Isaac's children and Ishmael's children grapple with each other and battle one another. And we're watching people filled with hostility and anger boiling over to an incredible point where there's so much anger and rancor and cynicism in our world. And in this very moment, you and I as the people of God are going to pause and celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace. Jesus is Lord over all creation. And Paul says his birth, his entry into this world has changed everything. All those hostilities melt away. He says this was the mystery. And you know, if you look at verse 27, Paul says, here's the mystery. You know, in the New Testament, the Greek word is mysterion. We just transliterate it into English. But when Paul uses the word mystery, he's not talking about like a like a mystery novel, you know, like we think of, you know, where you, you read a book and it sets the plot and you've got you've to try to solve the mystery. You know what I mean? Unless you're like me, I always read the last chapter first so I can relax while I'm making my, my way through the journey. That way it eases the anxiety a little bit. That's not what this is. That's not what this word means. In the New Testament, the word mystery means this, something that was hidden that only God can make known. That's what that word means. So here's something hidden. This message from God, this hope of the ages, is for everybody. 
And the incarnation changes it all. All hostilities, no matter how deep-seated, no matter how theologically grounded, they dissipate in the face of the grand truth of the incarnation. Jesus came not only as the Messiah to the Jews, he came as the Savior for the whole world. Because it turned out both Jew and Gentile need a Savior. And so Jesus has changed it all. And that's what Paul says. And then Paul says, but don't miss this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because you see, the Bible says in Isaiah 43, verse seven, God says, I have created my people for my glory. I've destined my people for my glory. You see, we're in the image of God as human beings, but he's also given us the assignment of reflecting his glory. So we bear his image in this world and we reflect his glory in this world. You remember when Moses said, show me your glory. <laughs> show me a glimpse. Remember what God said, you, you can't take it. You're too sinful. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just pass by and let you catch a glimpse of it. And even that's gonna be too much. Y'all remember how Moses just glowed in the dark for a while. Do y'all remember this story? Just, just, just by God just passing by. And the glory of God was on display in Exodus 33 and 34. God's faithfulness, God's love, God's righteousness. In other words, all the things that are the essence and character of God were on display in front of Moses. Well, that's the glory of God. And the glory of God is supposed to be on display in me. But here's what the problem is. It's also supposed to be on display in you. But here's what the Bible says. In Romans 3, verse 23, everybody has sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That means the glory of God is not on display in me as it should be because I'm a sinner and I need to be rescued and redeemed and restored and reconciled. Jesus has done that for me and then here's the gift. Christ is now in me. Christ is now in you and guess what that is? That's the hope of glory. This morning, we lit the candle of hope. But what I want you to know, it represents something even more profound than our anticipation of Advent and the birth of Jesus. Because when you become a Christian, God lights a candle of hope within you. And now the light of the world is actually in you. And you now have the hope of God's glory being restored in your everyday lives. Hallelujah. My world needs Christians who reflect the glory of God. My world does not need Christians who reflect the glory of this world. We already have enough of them. We already have enough Christians who are weighed down by the gravity and the pull of this world's order. We already have enough misguided, angry Christians in this world. We don't need one more. In fact, if you're one of those, surrender today. There are enough angry voices already. There's enough Christian hate spewed in my world already. We don't need one other conversation. We need the people of God to display the glory of God, righteousness in a godly way, holiness lived out in a way that is honest with integrity and authenticity and humility in our world. And the good news is we can do it. You know why? Because Christ is in you. That's the hope of glory. It's not on you. You can't do it on your own. You'll fall short of the glory of God every time on your own but you're not left to your own devices. 
So let's start the Advent season in hope. Let's rekindle that flame in us. And let's celebrate and embrace this truth that we have Christ in us. So the incarnation, why does it matter? I mean, seriously? From my point of view, everything hinges on it. Everything. Colossians 1, creation is out of sync. It's, it, it's out of rhythm. It, it's out of harmony. But on that night in Bethlehem, God struck a new chord. He signaled a new beginning, the dawn of a new day. And one day, it is all going to be made right. That's the message of the incarnation. God has chosen to intervene in this mess. And he sent his son to do it. And now you and I are ambassadors of him. Praise God. So let's start our Advent season in humility, in high praise of the image of God revealed through his son. Unless you and I gather around these powerful truths of the incarnation. We'll sing these beautiful songs during this season, but we'll sing them with hope. What child is this? What child is this? <laughs> well, he's the image of the invisible God. <laughs> he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the son of the living God. He is the image of our God. He's the long expected Jesus. He was born a child and a king. Praise his name. Let's pray together. <clears throat> so today, Lord, we begin this season with great hope in our hearts. In the midst of a world that needs a message of hope. Today, Lord, we recognize there's trouble all around us. A world filled with animosity and hate and hurt and brokenness. That even in a land that we call holy simply because it's, it's where Jesus walked, we find it once again embroiled in hatred and war and pain and suffering. And we see that actually across the world. And Lord, we recognize we desperately need a word of peace and hope. So may it begin in us. I ask, Lord, that you would just light this flame of hope in us and we'd be ambassadors of the miracle of the incarnation and how we believe that the birth of Jesus truly has changed everything. We pray, Lord, not only is it a, a time of new beginning for us, but it'll be a season of renewal for our church and it'll be a time of new beginnings for men and women and boys and girls across our community as they hear the beautiful message of who this child really is. And we pray in his name, amen.